Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's a privilege to be standing here. It really is. I do not take it for granted. Good. You all have a good week. I'll just briefly tell you a story when you can turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Exodus. Um, um, just pick a chapter. Um, as many of you know, I go to Panera quite a bit because I have lunch with my wife there from time to time and I meet people there. Anyway, I'd arranged to meet Michelle there. She was out somewhere and I got there and as I walked in, I bumped into Tracy. She was waiting for someone, so we briefly chatted and then I went and ordered and I sat down and I was waiting for my food and I was busy going through my, my phone and my messages and next thing, Tracy came and sat opposite me and we start talking and engaging and whatever and there's a couple next to me and uh, they're just sitting there and then Tracy got up and moved and about three minutes later Michelle came and sat down there and I saw the woman over there lean to her husband and say something. <laughs> it was quite funny actually. <laughs> they never met. <laughs> it was quite funny so I can imagine what they were saying but anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, reputation just went down but that's fine. <laughs> All right. I just want to, uh, I think Clayton, what he's been sharing has been wonderful. It really has. And um, when he asked me to preach, uh, he said, just do whatever you want. But I feel I just want to maybe talk a little bit about what he's been talking about. So, um, and I've entitled The Necessity of the Journey in the Desert of the Wilderness. The Necessity of that Journey. And we all go through that journey in our lives, but it's necessary that we go through it. It's never pleasant, very not nice, but there's a necessity for it, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, it's a place where nothing seemingly happens. Nothing seemingly happened with the Israelites as they came out of Egypt and were on their way to the promised land. Nothing seemingly happened. It's like they were going nowhere. It's just they went round and round and round and round. And you know the story. God just took them around and round and they could say, well, we saw this rock before, and we saw this tree, well, it meant many trees, but whatever. But it's a place of learning. It's a place of preparation in us. It's a place of humbling. It's a place of brokenness. It's a place of endurance. And it's a place of patience. That's what we learn in those seasons. And they're all necessary to place us or position us for victory, or to take possession of what God has said he has given us. Are you with me? They are absolutely vital and necessary. The Israelites went through it. Moses went through it. He was 40 years in the desert. David, Joshua, John the Baptist, I've just mentioned some. Jesus himself was in the desert for a while. Paul, the disciples, they all experienced it. All of them. Because it's a place of preparation for what's coming. Amen. And so, I put it this way. There's a difference between when God calls you to when God sends you. Or there's a difference to when God calls you to when he releases you to what he's called you into. Or there's a difference between coming out of something and going into something. Or there's a difference between the promise received and the promise fulfilled. And that space in between is what is necessary to take place for us to go into. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's very key to understand that. Very key. 
So we can see the Israelites' journey, the Bible talks about it quite a bit, so we can learn from it, so we can understand. There's seven books written on it, Psalms, there's a lot in Psalms about it, and often in the New Testament it's returned or referred to that journey that the Israelites took place, so we can learn from it. Amen. So let's go to Exodus 13. If you got to earth, Exodus 13, well done. And I wasn't here for the first two weeks when Clayton said, if I repeat some stuff, forgive me. Um, so I don't know what he spoke about the first two weeks. All right, Exodus 13 says this, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people of God go, God did not lead them out on the road through the Philistine country, though that was the short way. How many of us like to do the shortcut? <laughs> we all do. <laughs> let's just get it there. Let's just get it. As my wife says, let's just quickly paint the house. Quickly paint the house. Okay. Two years later, I'm still painting. All right. But anyway, let's quickly paint the house. Okay. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God knew that. If I take them this way, they're going to face war, and I know they're going to want to go back. But that's not my intention for them. That's not my goodness for them. That's not my favor on them. So because I love them, and because of my grace, and because of my favor, and because of my promise, and because of who I am, and because of my faithfulness, I won't let them go that way. Although we want to go that way. Jess, like Jess says, we want to you know what I mean. Okay, all right. Okay. <laughs> so God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Now that's in the NIV is not a good translation. It actually means, I think the New King James says, in orderly ranks. I don't know if they got the New King James up there. Which literally means they were organized and in fighting formation. That's the way they came out. They were not disorganized. There was no panic. They were not panic-stricken. They weren't fleeing for their lives. They went out orderly and in an orderly fashion. In my words, it's like, we've got this. We've got this. You know, we're just walking out. Look at us. And all the Egyptians saw them going and carrying all the plunder. And we've got this. They fought. They were there. They thought they had arrived, in a sense. They were able but little do they know about what they were about to go through because God was with them. So let's go to Exodus 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, as you know, now Pharaoh decides to chase them. The Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. Amazing. This is the first obstacle they faced, the first one. They were terrified. Now they didn't quite have it all together and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Why have you done this to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. This is the first obstacle. It's amazing. And God knew that. It's not like he was taken by surprise. So when we face an obstacle and we respond in a way that, I'm just using Jess's words, it's not nice, God's not taken by surprise. He understands. He's busy working with us. Are you with me? 
Let's carry on reading. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand. And then we know what happens. Sometimes we think we're ready for something, but we are not. Sometimes we think we're ready for a battle, but we are not. Sometimes we think we really believe and trust in the Lord, but we don't really. If you understand what I'm saying. Like when the money goes short all of a sudden, and then anxiety and worry and fear begins to creep in. Then we really begin to see whether we do trust or we don't trust. But as I said before, God is not taken by surprise. He knows us. But in his grace and in his loving goodness and his loving kindness, he's working with us. That's what he's doing. He's busy working with us. So the Lord in his grace takes us through seasons of teaching and through seasons of preparation. Let me use an example. Out of you've heard me preach on it. Peter. When Peter denied Jesus, Jesus said you could deny me. And Peter did not lie when he said, there is no ways I'm going to deny you. No ways. I believe in you. I trust you. I'll never deny you. But Jesus said, yes, you will. And we know the story. When he did, Peter like began to see some of the stuff that was in him that still had to be dealt with. And one of the first things Jesus did when he rose from the grave and he appeared, he said, go tell Peter and the disciples the restoration that comes. It's amazing. He didn't say, just go tell the disciples, go tell Peter. I loved what Mark shared. Is Mark yellow? What he said last week, similar story. In the beginning of their life, how they had to learn and how they worried when they were financially short, but how God took them through a season of preparation and trust. This wonderful testimony over a period of time and how they begin to trust God with their finances and where they are today. I loved what you did last week, Mark, by the way. So Deuteronomy 8 is a chapter that very briefly describes, we're going to read it shortly, what takes place in the wilderness or the desert. It's a very brief description. If you want to go to a New Testament comparison, you can go to 2 Corinthians 4. Or Hebrews 12, it also very briefly describes the workings of God in our life. You have to understand Deuteronomy a little bit before we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 1, if you can quickly turn there, because it gives us some idea of the whole reason Deuteronomy is written and when it was written. So it's 40 years later. These Israelites have wandered and wandered and wandered. God never forsook them. He looked after them. He fed them, etc., etc. And Deuteronomy 1 verse 3 says this, In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. So we can see just, just before Moses dies, it's been revealed to him that he's going to be with the Lord. It is, he's 120 years old. They're right on the eastern border of the promised land. They're right on the fulfillment 
of God's promise to them. They're busy overlooking Jericho. That's where they're standing. You have to understand, the majority of the people that are alive, when Moses speaks these words, were the kids that were born in the desert. Majority. They had not experienced slavery. It's very key. They had not experienced Egypt at all. They had not experienced the Red Sea. And they had not experienced Sinai. Where the mountains shook. And they had not seen that or experienced that. They had no concept of that. In this book, 35 times Moses says to these people, Go in and possess. He doesn't say that much in any other book he wrote. 34 times he says, this is the land that the Lord has promised you. Go in and possess. So there's a whole different mindset that's busy beginning to take shape here. Numbers 33, don't turn there, tells us about the stages of Israelites' journey. You can go read it. It says they moved from year to year. You can go 41 times they moved in 40 years. Imagine that. We're busy selling and moving. And my, that's a lot of work. They moved 41 times. <clears throat> I think Clayton said, imagine you just settle down and then the cloud moves and you've got to get up and go. Midnight, the cloud moves, you've got to get up and go. But there's a process of preparation that's busy taking place and all that. If we, okay, so let's go to Deuteronomy 8. Let's read Deuteronomy chapter 8 a little bit. Deuteronomy chapter 8. <clears throat> Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today. So let's put it in a New Testament context. Be careful or take note of or give attention to every time I speak to you or every revelation I've given you. Okay? I'm giving you today so why? So that you may live may increase, may enter, and possess. You may live, you may increase, you may enter, you may possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord God led you. So we understand that with the desert journey, God led them. They didn't choose where to move to. For 41 times, it's when the cloud moved, they had to move. God led them. All the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you, to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Let me put it this way so we don't get it wrong. It's not God coming to us and hello, trying to trip us up or God trying to undermine us or God trying to expose stuff. It's stuff that's inside us that needs to be dealt with. And God knows it's there. And so he allows it to begin to surface so that we can deal with it by his grace and love. You with me? Because some of the stuff stops us entering in. Some of the stuff stops us taking hold of. He doesn't love us any less. He doesn't chastise us in terms of he's angry with us. Not at all. But we just need to come to understand that. That's what I'm trying to say. And it's key 
Because God is with us. He's not against us. God is with us. He's not against us. It's very key to understand that. Okay. So remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert for you to humble you, to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. And then he fed you with the manna, which neither you nor your, your fathers had known, to teach you, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. Discipline is a positive word, yeah. it's not a negative word. It's a loving word. It's loving discipline. Observe the commandments of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and the hills, a land with wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates and olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out. It's a wonderful place to go into. And when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commandments, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble you and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. In the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced as wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so he confirms his covenant, which he swore to your fathers. And so this is a brief summary of what happens in the desert, what happens in those tough seasons at times that prepares us for what's going to happen. It's very key to understand that the Lord led them from place to place. Sometimes there was no water. Sometimes the water was bitter. But it was God finding where they were at, or they themselves finding where they were at, and how much they really trusted in God. <clears throat> Very key to understand. It's not you or me trying to change ourselves. It's not you or me working on our bad characteristics. It's not you or me going, oh, I need a change. It's the Spirit of the Lord in you that's bringing the change. That's very key to understand. It's not me trying to be good. It's not me saying, I need patience. And I do. But it's God working in me to allow the patience to rise up. It has to be a work of God. Otherwise, it doesn't last. It has to be a work of His Spirit. You with me? The New Testament, one of the great passages in the New Testament that helps us understand this is Romans chapter 8. I encourage you, read it, meditate on it. It's what it talks about is being led by the Spirit. 
being led by the Spirit. The Spirit of God will bring death to the misdeeds of the body. Not you, the Spirit of God. But it's as we cooperate with him, that's how it begins to happen. So there's a huge difference. Galatians 3, Galatians 5, Galatians 6 also talks about it a lot. And so we can see that the season of learning was to prepare them for the season to enter. The season of tough times or the season of learning trust was to prepare them for the season to possess and take hold of. And that's where Clayton has been gaining a lot with us over the last couple of hours. The big difference between a Canaan mentality and a Wilderson mentality is this. And then I'm going to touch on some other, but this is the big difference. In the Wilderson mentality, it's me crying out to God. In a Canaan mentality, it's me working with God. I'm not crying out to him, I'm cooperating with him. It's a big difference between praying to God and praying with God. Vast difference. And that's what God was trying to teach them. I want to work with you and I want you to work with me. When they crossed the first sea, it was a man in his anointing and his gifting that opened up the sea. When they crossed the River Jordan, it was a community that went through that had learned to work with God, not relying on one man or one person. Huge difference. Amen. So God is saying, I want to work with you. And so you, what's the difference? The difference is, in a Mulder's mentality, I wait for God to do something. In a Canaan mentality, we work together to do it. Walter's mentality is, I'll wait. God, you do it. 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 I'll just wait for you to do it. Canaan mentality is, no, let's enter together. Amen. Walter's mentality is one man and his gift and an anointing. A Canaan mentality is a community led by the presence of God. That's the difference between the two. So what are the, some of the things that God wanted to teach them? Firstly, in the wilderness, we learn obedience. We learn what it is to obey. It takes a while, but we learn it. When they entered the promised land, they had to just respond, because if they didn't, they were going to get hurt. That's how they gained the victory, because they had learned yeah, they just obeyed. Yeah, they were learning what it means to obey. Amen. Next one. In the wilderness, there's a sense of laying your life down. There's a sense of suffering, if I can put it that way, that comes. Um, but in the promised land, it's a sense of abundance. It's a sense of abundant life. It's a sense of living right with God. In Canaan mentality, it's like you move, 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 move. They move 41 times. It's a constant, not too sure where I am, not too sure what God's doing. He's doing this in me and then he's doing this in me. Whereas when you take hold of the promise, it's a time to build, to establish, 
and build a base. That's what they were going to do in the promised land. It's very interesting that God has spoken to leadership about the building. It's time to build. See the difference? In the wilderness mentality, it's a life of losing your life. You're learning to lose your life. You're learning to let go. You're learning to, in a sense, it's like going down, if I can put it that way. Where Canaan mentality, it's gaining your life. It's an increase. It's an exposure to what God is doing. In the wilderness, you're hidden. Nobody sees what's going on. Not many people are aware of it, but when you enter in, people see what's going on. God begins to establish you. God begins to um, let people see what's happening. I think of Beth and Bull and all the years they worked in Heritage Square. For years, nobody saw what was going on. Now they're beginning to see it. They've taken hold of some of the promises God gave them years ago. Now they've seen some of the promises. Amen. In the wilderness, it's about surviving. It's what it is. In Canaan, it's about possessing. It's about bearing fruit. It's about success. In the wilderness, it's about separation and isolation. In Canaan, it's about revelation and exposure, being exposed, people seeing what God is doing in your life. In the wilderness, much grace is given to learn. As you enter into the Canaan land, some of the stuff that God wanted to deal with here, you can't get away with here. Because it'll be undoing. <clears throat> In the wilderness, can be very criticized, very misunderstood. Whereas in Canaan, there's a glorification that begins to happen. In the wilderness, it's daily provision. Sometimes experience lack. You just experience lack. You don't seem to have enough. Whereas in Canaan, there's an abundance that God begins to give to you. You have more than enough so you can give it out to others. How does this correlate to you and I personally in our life? When God, the difference between the calling and the releasing or the calling and the fulfillment or the promise and the fulfillment, God begins to deal with an unresolved identity crisis in us. That's what it begins to deal with. Jesus, as Clayton mentioned, was able to wash the disciples' feet to be a true servant because he knew who he was, where he came from, and where he was going. He knew that. But because of our life or childhood traumas or hurts or whatever, whatever we've experienced, many people struggle with a constant sense of inferiority or insecurity. Many, many of us have struggled with it. And this can blur motives and sometimes makes it a little difficult for us to respond to God correctly. So he works with it. One of the first prophetic words I got, I think if not the first, I cannot remember. I'm getting on in years, you know, I'm 35. Um, <laughs> don't look for 35, you're right. Uh, David Cape, a man that's uh, just a very prophetic man, he called Michelle and I out, and one of the first words, I didn't know the guy. Imagine getting this word. God sees your insecurity, but he's going to deal with it. He said that publicly. And he did. 
over many years. Not straight away, over many years. There were many instances where it rose to the fore and where it overshadowed everything else. That's unfortunately what happens. When it rises up, it overshadows everything. And everything is seen through that lens of insecurity. You with me? But God is gracious. Hallelujah. God begins to deal with our wrong motives, unfortunately. When people want to um, be recognized in order to heal some need for identity or perform in order to be accepted or gain respect through obtaining some position, they begin to disturb rather than help. And so God begins to understand that. Okay. I put here we need to get over with we need to overcome our preoccupation with ourselves. God helps us with that. Other things that happen is God teaches us how to respond to criticism or how to take correction or how to be taught. That's what he does because we need to learn to work together and we need to be able to handle criticism in a way. You've heard me often speak about Smith Wigglesworth. I've only spoken about the positive. That man was very criticized by many people in church leadership. Many, but I mean many. But he had learned how to deal with it correctly. Because when you stand for God and you're going to stand firm for him and God's going to use you, people will criticize you for whatever. One, because of jealousy or whatever, but they will. And we've got to learn how to respond to that without derailing ourselves, if you understand what I'm saying. God will teach us to work in team. In the desert, it was all about Moses and a great leader he was, and we can learn a lot from him. But in Canaan, it was about the, the different tribes going to take the inheritance and working together. And um, Exodus... 17 is a wonderful picture beginning to show about that, how Moses' hands are held up and Joshua's in the battle. It's a picture of what God's going to do down the line. All right. Uh, when we're more preoccupied with position rather than serving, with the office rather than function, with authority rather than responsibility, um, God will begin to work that in us because he's preparing us for what he wants to do. Pride and insecurity or inferiority. They're closely related, and God begins to deal with that. Um, the age-old, three old age-old traps that every one of us have to face somewhere in our life, and you're going to have to deal with it. I'll put it this way. Girls, gold or glory. Females, fortune or fame. Woman, wealth or winning. Whatever one you want to use. <laughs> okay, for the ladies, it'll be boys, what men, I don't know, whatever. But we've got to learn to deal with that. Amen. Correctly. And then the last one I put here was an inability to change as God brings change. God is continually bringing change. He doesn't change, but he brings change in our life. That prepares us to enter in. The way we think in the desert is the difference to the way we think when going in. Nothing changed. I love what Clayton said. Nothing changed. The promise didn't change. Uh, God didn't change. The only thing that changed was this new generation thought differently. That's all. They just thought differently. Because they had never had slavery. They had never been in that bondage. So they had 
spent 40 years moving and learning to obey God. That's what they spent 40 years doing. Amen. And so when God says, now you go in together and you take it together and you enjoy the spoils together and your victory together, not just one person doing it on behalf of everybody else. I love where God has us as a church. I love what's going on. I'm fortunate to be sitting where many of you are sitting and enjoy it and not have to be at the forefront to try and work it out. Hallelujah. (laughs) But pray for those that have to work it out and pray for those that have to make the decisions. I've been there. Trust me. They're not easy at times. I honestly mean I pray for them. Pray for them because we enjoy it together. We really enjoy it together. I've had the privilege of working with many of these leaders, and they're there for you. Trust me, they are. They're there for you. They really are. And for all that God has for us as a church, and all that God wants to do with us for a church, if the glory of the God breaks out in this place, and I'm convinced it's going to happen one day, not because we're any special, not because we're any better than anybody else, it's just because one of the promises of God over us, that's all. But when the glory of the Lord breaks out over us to such an extent, we've got to be able to carry it in a way that will bring honor to God. That's what's got to happen. Carry it in a way that will bring honor to God. Amen. And learn to deal with some of the criticism that will come from different quarters. And be secure in it. Just be secure in it. Amen. We're entering into possess. That's what we're doing. We're entering into possess. Amen. So in your own personal life, you'll know some of the stuff. I know it comes out of my own personal life, how God prepares us for what he's doing. And the season Michelle and I are in, it's a wonderful season. We're not too sure exactly what it looks like yet. We're busy working it out ourselves. But it's a privilege to be part of what God is doing here. It really is a privilege. You want to say something? Okay. Please don't go anywhere. We want you to pray for that. Was just outstanding. Really outstanding. It's good to have you back. It really is. Just wisdom, right? Just wisdom. Voice of a father. It's just wonderful. I am. Um, you know, insecurity is. I've preached before. Was a struggle for me for a number of years. Really, really was. And uh, you know, when you in leadership from young, you don't choose it, but you learn your lessons in front of everybody else. And uh, so you have to deal with it pretty fast. But um, I remember uh, as a time where you, you just realize God's at work. And this, I've, we've never shared this, and it, it doesn't matter. It was, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. There was a rumor going around about me and about my dad at the same time that he was having an affair and I was having an affair. And it was just so it was just stupid. No, no. <laughs> and it was just so silly, right? So, but the funny thing is it didn't bug it didn't, not even for one split second. And so I went, it was so funny, and I knew, God, you know, you know when something happens and it doesn't affect you, you that's victory. So I went to, my parents, <laughs> went to my parents for breakfast that day. I said, so, Dad, I hear you're, uh, you're being badly behaved. And he says, well, I hear the same thing about you. <laughs> and so, 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 and he says, oh, we don't have any peanut butter. He wanted to put peanut butter on his toast. And, and he's like, Michelle, she says, I'm not going to the store. Get your girlfriend to do it. So that's, that's, 
That's how I know. Victory, right? Victory. But there was just, and it came at a season where God was really moving. And that things get tested. Amen? And one of the things that, that, that takes place, one of the crazy verses is where it says, as soon as they entered, the manna stopped. Stopped. No more supernatural. That just it stopped. It was really outstanding. I wonder if you could pray for us. I wonder if we could stand. I just think the wonderful thing is God's grace during these seasons. I wanted you to pray for us. That would be wonderful. Back on here. I had in my notes three things actually happened. The manna stopped. The pillar of cloud and fire stopped. And they were prepared for war. Those are the three major things that happened. They weren't prepared for war. Now they were. The manager ceased, actually ceased, supernaturally. And the cloud just and the fire went. Why? You know when God first talks to you, you get this feeling, this excitement in you. How many of you felt that? Or you just sense, you get this excitement in you when you're first a young Christian and you just, oh, God's going to do something. Oh, I used to get butterflies inside me and I couldn't wait to see what God's going to do. Or well, one day those butterflies went. They weren't there anymore. And I waited a while to say, where are the butterflies? The Lord, because now I know you're going to do something. And it was like the Lord said, now you go by faith. I'm teaching you now to go by faith. That's what I'm talking about. He takes you through that. Where the butterflies just disappear. If you're still having butterflies, enjoy it. Hallelujah. Go for it. Enjoy it. It's wonderful. But one day those physical sensations go. And the Lord says, now it's by faith, my son. Now it's by faith, my son. Amen. And he just teaches us. He really does. He just teaches us. Father, I thank you. Lord, it's by grace and grace alone that we stand here together before you. Thank you for your gracious preparation in our lives, in our hearts. Father, we want to learn to work with you, to walk with you, to enter in with you. We want to pray with you, not to you. Thank you, Lord.